This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning. I'm super happy to see you, and welcome to those of you who are watching from home. We're also happy to have you join us. It is beginning to look a lot like... <sighs> Love it. And for a person who really enjoys change, are there any other change addicts out there that just like change for change's sake? Yes. There's like four of us. That's okay. This theme of unexpected Christmas, I adore it because we're having all kinds of unexpected things like guest services doing their job so well that that napkin is missing, but we still got our winner. But unexpected is super fun. And I love the theme of this morning specifically that we will dive right into. But let's start with the fact that we are teaching this series is out of a piece of the scripture that I've never heard a sermon before. In fact, if I'm being totally honest... Pastors skip pages in the Bible sometimes too. (laughs) When I get to this section, I usually just flip right on by because it is a list of names, half of which I cannot pronounce. So it's just sort of irony that I am teaching from this this morning, and I'm going to have to read them out loud to you. So we'll just stumble our way through it. It'll be fine. But it is unexpected because the author is walking through the genealogy of Jesus because the people that he was writing to at the time would have expected to see a savior from the lineage of Abraham and David, which are famous Bible characters for people of of Jesus's time. They would have known those names very well. And the unexpected part is that the author takes little side trails. He's going down the family tree, which have any of you ever studied your family tree? Usually if you study your family tree, you're looking for famous people and you're looking to actually connect dots. For my birthday, I've just recently turned 41. And for my birthday, I asked for, I'm in the best decade. I think this is the best decade, but I also thought that about my 30s until I left them. So... um, uh, for my birthday, I asked for an Ancestry.com um, kit to be able to tell because I am an old school mutt and I would really like to know what that is made up of. But I am not studying my family tree because I do not want to find out that I am related in some way to Jeffrey Dahmer or I, like I, we don't want, when people study their family tree, they're looking for the good apples, not the bad apples on the tree. And what's so unexpected about this genealogy that we're going to walk our way through this morning is of all of the people, this author would have wanted to have highlighted very specific links to get to the savior of the world to prove his legitimacy. So it is so unexpected that he stops at what some of us would have considered the bad apples of the tree. And this morning, we're going to talk about one of those bad apples that has a label on her. But the reason why we're going to do this, what's unexpected about this, is that Matthew, the author of this particular um, account of Jesus's life, Matthew included these people as part of the story because to him, this was the point of the story. And that's what Ron talked about last week. They're part of the story because they're the point of the story. This week, we're going to stop on, we're going to take a detour. On our way to the Christmas story, we're going to take a slight detour because there's something unexpected on the way to Christmas. And one of the things I love about this season is that it isn't just a one-day celebration, that we actually say Merry Christmas to each other all month long, and we celebrate all month long. And sometimes, some of the most precious moments in connecting with the Christmas story happen not on Christmas. They are unexpected things that happen on the way to the Christmas story. A few years ago, our dog had puppies right before Christmas. And I 
I miss them. I'm, she's now a grandparent, um, but she had puppies right before Christmas. And what we hadn't expected, we expected the puppies. What we hadn't expected is that our usual tradition of doing a slumber party at my sister's house would include carting a kitty pool of puppies over to her house and having a slumber party with my niece and nephews on the floor all in one room just to be near the puppies on Christmas Eve and wake up on Christmas morning next to these little bundles of joy. That is not the point of the Christmas story. That was an unexpected detour on the way to the Christmas story that marks that Christmas in my memory in a very unique way. I had another one of those moments just this last Wednesday. My nephew talked me into signing up for the Petaluma Hotel's gingerbread contest. So we made a gingerbread retro trailer and truck. And on Wednesday, I'm sitting next to Silas feeling all kinds of pressure about this week. And like, what was I thinking? Why? Why did we add this to the Christmas season? This is chaos. And I found myself making a um, lawn chair out of pretzel sticks and fruit roll-ups. And I was just overwhelmed with the sweetness of that moment to be sitting next to my 13-year-old nephew who wants to spend time with me making creative gingerbread things. And that's not the point of the story, but it is something unexpected on the way to the Christmas story that marks our memories. And I think the author, Matthew, is trying to do something similar there. Ultimately, he is writing a biography of Jesus's life And we're particularly working our way to the Christmas story, Jesus's birth. But he wants to take us on a detour trail in order to point out some things that are vital to the Christmas story. So that's what we're going to be doing this morning. And I'd like to pop right into this genealogy and get these words right out of the way. So we're going to pop over to Matthew 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's one of the names that his readers would have wanted to know. Okay, you better start at Abraham because we know the Savior of the world is coming through this lineage. So Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. So far, we're doing okay. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. What you don't know is that that story right there is already one of those detours, but that's not where we're stopping today. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose father was Tamar. Tamar's story is one of those things that if they made a modern movie about it right now, none of us would go see it. It is sideways. If you, that's an R-rated, maybe more, why is he mentioning her in here? It's so interesting, but that's also an unexpected part of the Christmas story that we're not stopping on today. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. I'm okay there. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Hey, that one's still up for grabs, people. Anyone expecting a child? That one's up. We love Bible names. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. There's a word I know. And we mocked Gwyneth Paltrow for naming her daughter Apple. Salmon. I think it's actually called Salmon, but whatever. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. That is where we're pausing today. This is the unexpected detour in this story that we are going to focus in on. The author would have known that his readers were caring about the lineage. And in this particular culture, patriarchal lineage would have been the thing. And pure blood lineage would have been the thing. So why is he stopping to add in this sentence whose mother was Rahab? He's already tracked the lineage through the fathers. He's already making the link that they need. Why include a woman? 
That was not natural in that time. That would not have been a normal thing. He did not need her in the story, but he's included a woman. And what they would have known, the fact that he just gets to reference whose mother was whose mother was Rahab, he can just reference that because they would have known who this character was because her label was a known thing. In fact, uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. She was not only a woman in this time when women would not have been part of the lineage, she was not a Jew. She was not part of the chosen people. And that would have been a big deal. And in this time, interracial marriages between the nations, the chosen people were not supposed to be marrying outside of the Jewish nation. So the fact that she is included in this Christmas story, it's hard to over emphasize how odd this detour would have been for them. However, he does include her. And on top of it, they would have known that Rahab was a prostitute. That would have been part of the story that they knew about her. So the question is why this unexpected detour on the way there. So let's pause and let's go back to Ruth's story, uh, Rahab's story, to talk through that. Excuse me. All right, Ruth was a Canaanite, and her story is going to be here, and here is the Israelite nation. They have been in slavery for 400 years in Egypt, and they have just recently broken free out of that, and they are journeying their way back to their homeland. But on the way, they are passing through enemy territory after enemy territory after enemy territory. And so these slaves have become nomads. There's millions of them traveling together. It's a nomadic refugee camp. They are on their way to their homeland, and they're passing through enemy territory. So these slaves have become nomads, and then they have had to become warriors and soldiers in order to get themselves back home. And by the time Ruth enters their story on their way by, they have had to become sophisticated in such that they became spies. So Rahab enters the story because she is hosting these Israelite spies. And they would have been visually able to be told apart from the Canaanite people. So much so that by the time we get to to Rahab's story, she has been reported as hosting these spies. So the people already of her town knew these are Israelites, they don't belong here, and they are likely spies. And so the military comes rushing to her door and wants to question her to make sure that these spies are out. What I think is so cool is the way God writes a cover story. It's going to get a little sensitive here just for a second. But it begs the question, if the military was wondering, what are these spies doing here? Why don't they just bust into Rahab's house and search it? Well, because it's a brothel. That's why they don't go in there. Generally, that is not what you want to do. So they, instead of searching the place right off the bat, they stop and they knock. But then also God writes a cover story that it makes some sense about why the Israelites would be there and why they would leave so quickly that she could actually lie on their behalf and say, yes, there were Israelites here, but they're already gone. And she is not questioned in that way. In fact, all she says to them is, yes, they were here, But they've already left the city. And she is believable enough, which is odd for a prostitute to be believed in this way, but she is believed enough that they do not search the house. In fact, they run out of the city to see if they can catch up with these spies on their way out of town. That's where we're going to pick up in Rahab's story, actually out of the Bible. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. 
This is not the interaction we expect. These are her enemies, and she knows these are the stories she's heard about them, and yet she hosted them in her home. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan. She knows that they are on a war path on their way back to their homeland, and they have stopped in her town, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God. She would have had many other gods that she was affiliated with and she believed in. And here she is. The Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by that Lord that you will show kindness to my family. Because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to me, and that you will save us from death. And the spies reply, our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So let them, so she let them down by a rope through the window. Also a very cool part of the story that God would have her house share the city wall so that they have an escape hatch. They don't have to actually exit back out. That is the coolest thing. So she let them down by a rope through a window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. So the, I'm going to skip part of the story. My husband is currently doing his annual walk through the Lord of the Rings, I would say, trilogy. But now he's added The Hobbit to it. So I don't even know what you call that. But he's working his way through. And last night he turns one of them on and was like, oh, here goes war. It's like constant war. So I'm going to skip the part of the story where that city is completely destroyed. Completely destroyed. And we're going to pop right into the happy ending. <laughs> So into the prostitutes, uh, oh, the spies are directed by the people when the chaos is happening and the city is being destroyed. Their leaders say to them, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her. Also interesting that that is part of the story. Right off the bat, the leaders of this Israelite nation know that the, the people that helped the spies was a prostitute and are willing to help her in this case, which would have gone against their religious law. So fascinating. And all of the people who belonged to her, in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab. And Joshua spared Rahab. That was the leader of the nation. Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute. Look at that. Right in there. Labeled her Rahab the prostitute. That was a big deal with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lived among the Israelites to this day. This detour would have been well known at the time of Matthew's writing. They would have known this from oral tradition, but this was also part of their written Bible. And it would have been controversial. How in the world would God have chosen to use someone like this to do this? But I think that there, whether you're talking about Matthew's audience or you're talking about today, I think there's five things that we can learn from this detour in the Christmas story that bring it home for us. That's something unexpected. The first I want to do is to juxtapose the fact that in Matthew, he mentions her as whose mother was Rahab, but they would have immediately known that Rahab was the prostitute and have connected it, and it would have caught their attention. And this morning, we're going to pause a little longer than they did to catch that attention, to have it hit home for us. The first thing I'd like to point out that I think Rahab can teach us is that even label makers are part of Jesus's story, the Christmas story, because they are the point of the story. 
This is not the savior that the local people of Matthew's time would have been looking for. Because of their history, they would have known that the savior was going to come from the lineage of David and Abraham, but they were expecting a military leader. They were expecting a political coup. That was what they were looking for. Matthew wanted to prove the the legitimacy of Jesus But he also recognized the fact that if they were looking for a military leader, they would have missed the Savior entirely. Matthew had spent time with Jesus and knew this was the Savior of the world, but he knew him to be a gentle teacher, not a military leader. He knew that Jesus did not take the religious laws as strictly and as seriously as the local religious leaders were. So they were going to be looking for a different thing than Jesus was. And he's taking this detour of using a label maker to call their attention right off the bat. This is not the savior you think you want. This is still legitimately the guy you're looking for, but he's going to be different than you think. And the last time I was up here on the stage talking, I was talking about the fact that we have this picture of God that we have picked up somewhere. Somewhere what we think he is going to be like. And isn't it easy enough to miss God in the moments because he isn't the way that we expect I think Jesus' day had the same problem, and Matthew was working to say, hey, let me show you a picture of what that God can be like. And believe it or not, Rahab the prostitute, someone that wears one of these labels that we think that discounts you right off the bat from being a representative of God or being made in the image of God. Right off the bat, he says, pause here. There's something you need to know about that baby that was born in the Christmas story that is worth talking about this story. So number one, even label makers are part of the story because they're the point of the story. And number two, Rahab teaches us that God's grace always outweighs his righteousness. That picture that we have of God often is reflected. And actually, world religions across the board push at us this concept that merit is somehow how we earn God's favor, that somehow God's perfection is tainted by our imperfection. That somehow God's righteousness and holiness is somehow in juxtaposition to his mercy and his grace. But Rahab's story and story after story after story of the Bible consistently communicate to us, try to push into our hearts the fact that this is not that God. That when it comes to God's righteousness and God's mercy, mercy wins. And the Christmas story is the beginning of that story. That when it comes to God's holiness, that his uh, grace is bigger than any right that he has to call us to perfection. And Rahab is the perfect example of this characteristic of God that God purposely sent in a baby Jesus at Christmas in order to live a life to show that over and over and over. And the Bible has stories of that over and over, but Jesus's life reflects that principle over and over. If anybody had the right to demand out of us to pull our stuff together, it would have been Jesus who had his stuff together. And yet Rahab, on the way to the Christmas story, points out 1,500 years before Jesus was born, that's not how I work, that I have righteousness, but my grace and mercy will always outweigh that. And I love that lesson out of this labeled person, Rahab. Three, one of the other things that comes out of Rahab's story that I just adore is this idea, and I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but we can borrow each other's faith. Let's go back to Joshua 2 
and read a portion of that story again. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, who you completely destroyed. In Joshua 2, she points this out, and then in Joshua uh, early, a little bit earlier, she says, I know that the Lord has given you this land. She has zero personal experience with that God. All the way through the story, she keeps referencing your God. It's not her God. She knows from their stories that that is a the God. She says, I know the Lord, your God is God. But she has no personal interactions with that God whatsoever. I don't know if you have considered the fact that we can actually lean on each other's faith. She borrowed faith from the stories that she read of, or that she had would have heard about that God. I think we have the same thing. Some of you here are here today because you know somebody in your world that has the kind of faith that is so intriguing to you that you want to press in and find out if that can be true, if that is something that you could have as well. For some of you, you're going through a really hard time and you're currently on a text string with a friend who is giving their faith to you to keep your head above water during this difficult time. That is us barring our faith. Last week, I just had a tough, last weekend was just really discouraged and struggling. And I turned to documentaries. I pulled up a couple of documentaries that always the stories of those people's faith infuses me and my faith. I love that idea, and I don't know how that applies to you. I think there's two ways it might apply to you. You might need to reach out and lean on somebody else's faith in this season. That might be a thing that you do. Unabashedly, Rahab borrowed the faith of these spies and that Israelite nation. But I think there's another possible thing in here. What if we, what would it take? What if we fostered and bolstered and fed our faith in such a way that we were the friend that someone was texting to lean on? What would that look like if we were a community of believers that had fed our faith in such a way that at any point we have enough surplus of faith that somebody can lean on us? Some of us are already doing that. Keep it up. I know you're doing it because some of you are on my text string when I need it. (laughs) So I know some of us are already doing that. But what about that kind of faith? If it's possible for us to borrow faith from each other, then it is possible for us to lend faith. And I think Rahab is a beautiful experience, a beautiful example of somebody living in such a way that they could lean on someone else's faith and make serious action based on that, which actually leads to the fourth thing I think we can learn from Rahab's story, that God can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Rahab could only do two things have faith, and act on it. What would it take, what kind of faith would it take for you to collude against your nation in such a way that it would be actually overthrown by another nation? I'm not talking about our current government. (laughs) I'm talking about our whole nation. What kind of faith is that? All Rahab could do was have faith and act on it. It's only God that could write her into the Christmas story. There is no logical reason this woman makes it into the Christmas story. She is the grandmother of Jesus by 28 generations. There is no way she could have known by hosting some Israelite spies that she was going to be written into the story. Think about what happens. That's the part of the scripture that says, and then she lived amongst the Israelites to this day. 
when she, when her city is destroyed and they actually take her in with the Israelite nation, she becomes the mother of a family of refugees inside of a refugee nation. Is there any part of her that thinks, you know what, these, I feel like an outsider. That totally makes sense. She feels like an outsider with outsiders who are traveling. What are the chances that she ends up her generation after generation after generation, her descendants end up being the story? They're not the outsiders. They are the story. But at the time that she made this decision to act in faith, could she have possibly known that God was going to do that with her act of faith? I don't know what you've got swirling in your life right now, but I have some things that God is asking me to step out in faith, and I want to logic my way to it. (laughs) I want to, well, if you can convince me of this, this, and this, and if you can show me these 17 signs, and if you can confirm it through someone else's opinion, and if you could, I have all of these litmus tests for what it's going to take for me to act in faith, and I don't think you're that different from me. My guess would be you have something in your world that is taking faith out of you or that you're hesitating on. We have no idea what God can do with our act of faith. In this case, she had faith and she acted on it. And God used 28 generations later her to write the story that we now celebrate at Christmas 2,000 years later. She never could have known. Just act in faith. Rahab is great evidence that God can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And the last thing that I think Rahab teaches us is that your label is not an obstacle for God. This concept blows my mind because I think if I asked you right now, what's your label? We have them, right? We have them. For years and years, my label was woman. That should not be an anti-label. But for years, the things that I wanted to do that I felt called to, I was pretty sure I couldn't do them because I was a woman was pretty sure. But I also have labels that I really don't want to talk about from stage. (laughs) (laughs) Things that I have done, things that I have thought, things that I have chosen, things that I have failed to do, messages from God I have not done. I have all kinds of labels on me. And I tend to think, and I would imagine you tend to think, that those labels are an obstacle between us and God. Maybe two different ways they're an obstacle. One, they might be an obstacle for him acting on our behalf. I really need God to show up for me like this right now. But I don't want to ask him because I am blank. And insert label there. Or... I really feel drawn to do this step of faith. I want to be used by God in this way. Oh, but I am blank. I like, those of you that know me, I love to antique. I love to go to uh, state sales particularly. But one of the things in my early days of antiquing was I lo- was always looking for in, um, interesting frames. But the problem with antique frames is the frame is awesome, but the glass is warbled. Like, I don't think that's a word. Um, distorted. distorted. Thank you. The glass isn't quite right. So whatever you put in there is a little bit screwy. It it just is not quite right. So the frame is gorgeous, but the glass is not so great. So then you have to find the right kind of glass to put inside the frame that's shaped in a unique way. It's, It's tough. While I was thinking about this concept, how is it possible that the labels are not an obstacle for God when we know that our sin separates us from God? 
We know that the Bible talks about that, but also when we participate in sin, we can feel it. We want to step away from God. But the antique glass reminds me of something, or it's at least an analogy for me, of how this works out. That I think when I am letting God down, what happens is I put this glass up in front of my face, and when I look at God, I see distortion because of my sin, and I want to step away. I start to view him as a judge. I start to view him as disappointed at me. I start to view him in such a way that I want to step away, and I want to turn away. But I don't think God looks through that glass in the same way that we look through that glass. I think that my mistakes and my sin and my disappointments change what I assume God sees of me when he looks through that because of what I see when I look in a mirror. I don't think God sees us that way. That takes us back to the other lesson that Rahab teaches us. That God is not that, that is not the God. He is not his righteousness is outweighed by his grace and mercy. And I think it might be time to drop that antique glass from in front of our face. Drop that label off. That label is an obstacle for you, for you to work through. And that might require partnership. That might require leaning into somebody else's faith. That might require counseling. That might require any number of things to drop that label off. But God is not up there wrestling with this label that is stuck to you. God is able to just set that aside because his grace outweighs whatever righteousness he has. And he is perfect. But his grace is bigger than that. Your label is not an obstacle for God. And Rahab's detour on the way to the Christmas story is a perfect example of why we celebrate the Christmas story. It is the greatest love story ever told with plot twists that would put Hallmark to shame. It's so unexpected. The first plot twist is that a perfect God entrusted his child to a broken world. That's unexpected Christmas. Right there, the Christmas story starts unexpected right off the bat. The next plot twist is that we killed him. The next plot twist is that his love remained. This is so classic Hallmark in that. It doesn't matter what obstacle you throw at it. Love stays put. And in the Christmas story, that baby that grows up and that we crucified, he still loved us. And the next plot twist is that he came back from the dead. God did for us what we could not do for ourselves in sending a savior. So this morning, we at New Life like to participate in a um, symbol of that love every single week. And most of the time, we focus on the symbol of the cross, where he died for us. This morning, we're going to link two things together. That baby that was born in Christmas at Christmas was the first plot twist in the greatest love story ever told. And the death that he gave on our behalf was another plot twist in there. But The thing is, Rahab's story points us out that all along the way, there may be detours in this Christmas story that actually point out the point of the Christmas story. So it's December 9th. As we participate in this uh, symbol, communion, it's just a chance for us to press into opening our eyes to look for those unexpected things on our way to the Christmas story. If you want to participate this morning in this, there are no rules to this. This is a place of grace. So it's a little tiny cup of juice and it's a little tiny cracker and they're just symbols of Jesus' sacrifice for us. But I would say if you want to participate in communion this morning, drop your label. 
no matter what you're carrying, no matter what you're wondering, no matter. Walk over and enjoy this moment, this small little detour on the way to the Christmas story and open your heart to the possibilities of what can happen between here and Christmas that might press into you your version of the unexpected Christmas. I'd like to pray, and then any time during this next song that the band is going to play, just make your way to these tables. God, I, I just resonate with that sentence. This is not the Savior you were looking for. I know that they were originally looking for a military coup, but I consistently find my heart expecting and looking for you to be a judge who is waiting to catch me. This morning, I want me, I want us, I want um, you to help us drop those labels off. That Rahab and her label of prostitute was not an obstacle for you. And in fact, you made her the point of the story in proving your nature and who you are and how you work on our behalf and how you see us. God, I pray this morning as we do this simple act of communion and as we walk out of here with bells on our feet about the Christmas story, I pray that you would begin weeks of anticipation where we would be looking for you to be at move and catch ourselves in unexpected moments on the way to the Christmas story that bring us a connection to you and who you are. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.